demise of the podcast with Patrick Attaway, my podcast where I discuss writing. Only today, I'm not going to be doing much discussion of writing. I'm probably not going to even be reading any writing because we're on the 99th episode of demise of the podcast. And I tried to reach out to the people at Twitter about possibly reading an indie author's poetry on this episode of the podcast, and only one person responded. And I was expecting Buku links to show up in my feed because that's what happens when everyone's like, uh, drop your links here. But it didn't happen for some reason. Twitter has been really weird lately. Maybe it's just me. But then again, I am finding that there are a lot of people who say that they see my tweets all the time, but they don't like my tweets. They don't, you know, press that little heart. So I don't know if they're reading my tweets or not until they tell me. Why are you reading my tweets and saying that I'm so funny if you're not liking them or retweeting them? Who knows? So I'm not reading anything this episode. Instead of doing my talky episode like I did with episode 50 for episode 100, I'm going to start a new series. And I am thinking about doing a couple of series on Vonnegut because I've not read any Kurt Vonnegut on this podcast. And I've talked about it before on here, but I really like Cat's Cradle and Slaughterhouse-Five. They're some of my favorite novels. Cat's Cat's Cradle is in my top five novels. So that might be episode 100. We'll see. I don't have an agenda for this podcast, so I'm just going to be talking for a while as things come to me. I work better that way when I try to script things to, even if it's just making a list of things to talk about, I find that it's not as natural. And if I forget to talk about something, I'll talk about it on the next podcast if it's important enough. But I do have 10 of my albums on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, YouTube, Amazon Music, and many other platforms. Some of my music is even on TikTok, which is crazy. And if you're not familiar with my style of music, I am working under the pseudonym Lurking Vowel. And you can find my albums pretty much anywhere online now. And I've, I've recorded over 50 albums. I uploaded my 53rd album to Spotify along with nine others. And I was looking through my discography today, wondering what else I should upload. And some of you know that I am a singer. I don't think I'm a very good singer. Some people have told me that I'm good. Some people have been like, eh, it could use some work. But the fact is, is that I've been working on it for most of my life. See, what a lot of people don't know about me, and yes, we're getting into this, is I was 11 years old when I decided I wanted to be a musician. And I bought this album called Out of Time by the band R.E.M. And it changed my life because I grew up in rural Georgia and 
my exposure to rock music was the stuff that my mother had in her collection, which really wasn't a lot. But 90s classic rock radio in Georgia was the Eagles, pretty much. I didn't really even get to listen to much Led Zeppelin until I was in junior high school, I think. Right around the time I started listening to R.E.M., I started listening to Led Zeppelin. And, of course, I love Led Zeppelin. And I was very much into them in junior high and high school. And my wife thinks that they suck, so I don't listen to any while she's around. I have a feeling that if they made a Led Zeppelin movie, like with Bohemian Rhapsody, that she would become a fan. I started playing guitar when I was 12, started recording music when I was 13. I made my first album and released it when I was 15. So I've been on a steady roll since then. I released nine albums uh, one year and then nine albums another year. That was in 2012 and 2013, respectively. Granted, it's not very good. Back then, I wasn't very good at all. And even though... I'd played with other musicians and other people had complimented my guitar playing. I don't think I really got good until about 2014, which is right around that 10-year mark for me. So it took 10 years for me to be what I would consider really good. And here's the thing. Most musicians, even if they get the notes right, there's something more to it. So, yes... I could play songs and I could improvise and I knew scales, I knew chords, but there's more to it than that. It has to be like second nature to you in a sense, because a lot of times when I'm, I'm improvising, it's almost like I'm entering a different headspace because I'm not thinking about things in a mathematical way or in a way where I'm plotting. I'm just thinking, it's almost like muscle memory and I'm going here and here and here and I'm getting sounds here, here and here. And it makes sense to me in the moment. But if you were to ask me to explain it, I'd be like, I don't know. Most of my music is free on archive.org, by the way. So if you don't want to pay for a subscription on one of the streaming platforms, if you don't already have a subscription or if you don't want to buy them on iTunes, they're 10 bucks a pop on iTunes. And that's for a full album, which isn't bad. But if you just want to download MP3s for free, it's on Archive. I've even I've got even more stuff on Archive than I have on the other platforms. Uh, archive.org. If you're not familiar with Archive.org, it's one of the greatest places on the internet, and it's been around forever. At some point during this podcast, I'm going to have to have a Dan Bell moment. If you're not familiar with Dan Bell... He's one of the greatest things to ever happen to YouTube. And he is the guy behind the dead mall. Uh, I won't say that he is the first guy to ever take pictures or videos of a dead mall because even he acknowledges that he isn't. But he's the guy who popular popularized it. Yes, I can speak words. In fact, I started watching his video shortly after I watched his Kmart video in 2018 because I was just fascinated with Kmart. I love Kmart, and 
One of the reasons why I love Kmart is because I started going there in the early 2010s on a regular basis for multiple reasons. But uh, my town has a Walmart and a Target, so if you don't like either of those places now, you're shit out of luck. And Target had a really rough patch for, I want to say, about 10 years, really, because despite the fact when I was a kid, I loved it. Everyone who worked there was fucking rude as hell. So I started going to Kmart where they literally just left you alone. So they they, they also had a lot of the same things at Kmart and for better prices in some instances. And they had unique things like the, the clothing that they had there wasn't like the stuff at Walmart or Target. It was different. I have a, a sweater there. It doesn't fit me that well anymore, so I don't really wear it, but I kept it for sentimental value, which I guess makes me a hoarder, but it is one of those classic Cosby sweaters. I know that's not the most PC thing in the world to say, but I bought it right around the time that that Cosby stuff started coming out, and people still called it a Cosby sweater back then. So Dan Bell has a podcast on Patreon that is really good, but there are so many episodes where he just fucking rants. And he talks about his popularity. And in all reality, Dan Bell is a big deal in small circles. I mean, thousands of people love him, if not millions. But I want to say it's closer to thousands. Um, and he, he is a big deal to me. I love his work. And he established himself before becoming internet famous. He gave a TED Talk and all that jazz but he has a lot of people who hate him, and that's usually the sign of, of progress when it comes to your popularity is when people hate you. And I have plenty of people who don't like me on Twitter, and uh, there are a few people who I've blocked who I know for a fact still, still read my tweets, and there's one guy who is still following my wife, even though I blocked him years ago. So there's that. And I'm not telling you my wife's handle on Twitter. She never had her name on there. But he found her because people are fucking creepy. So retrospectively, a lot has happened this year. And it was kind of worse than 2020 in some ways. But one interesting thing did happen. I didn't make any new friends this year. The thing is, I've had this pattern of having intense friendships. And it's usually around this time of year, September, October, November, and then it kind of fizzles out or ends in December. And I've, I've made it Scott clear somehow this year. Um, and I'd like to think that the podcast got better this year. I mean, the first year was perfectly fine. I'm not complaining, but I branched out a little bit. I did things differently and I didn't rely so much on my own writing and I didn't really promote my own writing all that much. By the way, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go buy my books on Amazon. Most of them are 99 cents on Kindle. Anyway, after the plug there, I'm looking at my first year of episodes and uh, other than my own poetry, there's the, the Bukowski series I did. I did a short series on all about the Benjamins by Zev Good. I did 
American Psycho and Less Than Zero and the Rules of Attraction. So I pretty much covered my books and then my favorite books. Uh, my very favorite books. And then I had episode 50. And then we started getting into David Sedaris. And I covered a lot of David Sedaris. I did some Percival Everett. Did a little bit of Flannery O'Connor. Had my first interview on the podcast with W.B. Welch. If you haven't listened to that, that's fun. We don't just talk about her books. We talk about a lot of things. So it's a fun episode. And then I read her poetry on here. And uh, so far, it, it doesn't feel like I've done a lot this year. But I've, I've consistently put out at least an episode a week. And I've recorded three albums this year. That was a lot of fun. I managed to make it this semester without dropping one of my classes. I am on the thesis track. And I have a lot of complaining to do when it comes to school. So I'm going to do that now. I have to pay $1,400 for next semester. How many classes am I taking? And why am I paying money out of my own pocket instead of getting financial aid, you might ask? Because... The only other semester I've had to pay for was my first semester because I could only take one course because as a grad student, that was all that was available to me. The grad, the grad program of the school has left a lot to be desired. Now, I love some of the people in this department, including the man who runs the program. He's great. He was my advisor when I was an undergrad. He's a very sweet man, very intelligent man. I have nothing bad to say about him. I have plenty of bad things to say about some of the professors that I interacted with. Thankfully, this semester, I had two wonderful, great professors. But even with professors that I've, I've liked, I've had some sort of issue with in some instances. Um, some professors I was almost ambivalent to. But... It's always been hurdles in this shit. And it's going to be more hurdles. And I'm not even taking more fucking classes next semester. I'm taking thesis hours. So I'm essentially paying someone to read my thesis. $1,400. I've already paid some of it because... Yeah, and... You know, I started the new job recently. By the way... If you think you know me, I'm not the Patrick Attaway that you think I am. I don't live where you think I live. I don't work where you think I work. You don't know me. Anyway, now that we've put that disclaimer out there. I'm making more money now. I'm actually making more money than a lot of teachers are. So I'm wondering if I should even <laughs> get into that. I mean, the funny thing is, is that part of the reason why I pursued uh, masters is so I could do something that I love, work in a field that I love, and make more money. I mean, with a PhD, I could make twenty thousand more dollars than I could with a master's, maybe at minimum. And I'm wondering if that's worth it. Now, some people with PhDs make as much as lawyers do. Now, you may be wondering who, or you may be thinking that I would never be able to teach at a university that would pay that kind of money. Uh, you wouldn't be wrong. Uh, but 
the thing is, is that I do really like teaching. I like the idea of making things easier than other professors did in the past. A lot of what drives me as an instructor is the fact that I think I can do certain things better than other people did when I was coming up because I've spent most of my life in school and I've noticed things. And the thing is, is that I get it. You've been teaching a while and the things that they teach you and they're training you to be a teacher are not necessarily what you're going to be doing when you're actually teaching. As with any job in the professional world, your training doesn't even begin to train you. It can take years to really develop into a professional in any field. That's what I was talking about with guitar. It took me 10 years to get to where I felt like I was good as a musician. Now, people may listen to my music now after almost two decades of me playing, and they may think it sucks, but it really wouldn't bother me. I mean, I've, I've been playing music for most of my life now, and I've gotten used to a lot of people thinking my music sucks. That's fine. I don't do it for them. But with teaching, it's a little different. With teaching, you do do it for the people that are there. And uh, there's this weird thing happening in academia, and I don't like it, but at the same time, I think that it's holding professors accountable in ways that they don't really feel comfortable with. When you think about a student and the fact that they're paying thousands of dollars or they're going into debt to be in your classroom, think about that. I had a professor in the first cl class tell the whole class, don't, don't come to my office talking about your scholarship. And what professors fail to realize is that there's a lot at stake with our grade. And when you give a student an F, it's a big deal. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I made an F in college, sure. I'm a human being. I made an F in an algebra course, an algebra course. And the professor just didn't give a shit. He didn't prepare notes for class. He made up all the equations in his head as he taught. And I didn't feel like I was learning anything. The homework was that fucking online stuff that you have to buy a key to access. That's a scam. And he's getting kickback for that, by the way. I hope you know that when professors give you those big textbooks and you have to pay for keys, they're getting money to do to get they get money from publishers so that they'll put their books on their university book list. There's a lot of sketchy stuff that goes on in college that they're not held accountable for. Okay? That's what I'm getting to. And the fact that universities are thinking, institutionally, they're thinking of their students as customers and they're thinking of the professors as talent. Yeah, that's driving a lot of people away, sure. But think about it like this. Beyond the negativity in our lives, I want to highlight some positive things. And since this is my podcast, this is going to have absolutely nothing to do with you and everything to do with me. But this year I published 
three books. Surviving New America, which was my third novel. Illusion Delusion, which is my eighth book of poetry. And Toxic Literature. And there are two different editions of Toxic Literature out there. And that has a whole story to it. So I'm going to tell that story now. So I have made a sizable chunk of my book covers on Canva. Now, Canva was recommended to me by Zev Good, and it worked out pretty well for several covers. Now, Demise of the Trinity is probably the only cover except for like the last couple of poetry books that I've put out that I haven't changed in some way. And the thing about Canva is that you can use your own photography or your own images or you can choose stock photos of their own database. Now they have a lot of different ones to choose from. And nobody owns those images except for maybe Canva. But um, two of my book covers have been uh, sort of recycled by other people on Twitter. I was talking about something positive, and now I've come to something negative. Because a lot of negativity has come out of the hashtag writing community. And I was just scrolling through on... Twitter a couple of months ago, and I saw the same skull image that was used for toxic literature used for a promo for another author. Now, this particular page on Twitter also has stolen a lot of ideas from another Twitter page. Now, I follow one of the people who created this particular publishing press, and I've had a lot to say about Twitter publishing presses in the past, but uh, they don't deserve to have their ideas stolen by, by some nobody on fucking Twitter. And this nobody not only used the same image as Toxic Literature, the original cover, but they also used the format of the text. And what bothers me is that they obviously got it from me because it's one thing to use the picture. I don't own that picture. But to use the same formatting of the text, that's... that's obnoxious and then a couple of weeks ago I almost uploaded a new cover to Surviving New America because someone else used that image and it was for another author promo now here's the thing I'm not a big cheese author I'm not a big deal at all which it boggles my mind. So we're going to get into this. We're going to get into what I was going to talk about with the Dan Bell aspect of the podcast. I'm going to bitch a while. So what boggles my mind is that 
I have not made enough money from my books to even buy groceries. Okay. Now, I've given a lot of books away for free. I've done the free giveaways on Amazon. I am not a famous author, though. And yet, I have people stealing from me. They're stealing concepts from me. And it's not book concepts. It's just cover art thus far. But I have people stealing my tweets, too. And I've already told you the story about the guy who actually had more followers than me who stole one of my tweets. Someone called him out on it. I blocked him. And then he tried to add me on Instagram, I guess, to talk about it. I blocked him there. And then he blocked me on Twitter. So he knew why I blocked him. Yeah. I have over 12,000 followers on Twitter, which doesn't amount to anything. And yet I have people, maybe once a week, I have someone who has something to say about that. Today I did. Let me look it up. But I recently blocked someone who made a big fuss about me having five-figured followers. They said that, I don't remember exactly what they said, but essentially they said that people with five-figure followers are assholes. Essentially. Which, if you think I'm an asshole, I don't give a fuck about that. I have plenty of people who think I'm an asshole. But what gets me... Let me go through my notifications real quick because it happened a couple of hours ago. And they're not going to listen to the podcast. And if you see their comment and you decide to say something that... Oh, here it is. Okay. So this person... Let me see if they're still following me because they didn't respond to what I said to them. And you have to check this shit. No, they haven't said anything to anyone since they said this to me. So... A few days ago, I made a tweet about how so much of what I post is a joke. And I'm married. I have friends. And however I come off, even on the podcast, it's it's not indicative of my life. Okay, so I work a full-time job. I am finishing up a master's degree. I have very close friends I talk to almost daily. And I have a beautiful wife. I have a good relationship with my mother. I don't really suffer from depression all that much anymore. So, my life is fine. And what's crazy is that I've... I have... Thousands of people who know me as being sarcastic, as being humorous, and I don't even think I'm that funny, but people will take things that you say as face value. Even someone who is beloved in the hashtag writing community as a rebel, fuck that guy, 
He threatened me, and nobody called him out on it. He also called me fat. I'm not fat. But, oh, one of the reasons why he called me fat is because of those pictures I used to post of me looking down at the camera with my chin exaggerated so it looks like I'm fat. <clears throat> but I used to I, I used to make a lot of tweets about uh leaving Twitter and shit and it was a joke. And most people got the joke, but he thought I was just being whiny. Um which, you know, that's fine. You can think anything about me you want, but when you get on your timeline and you start attacking me for fucking no reason. Jesus Christ. And what amazes me is that there are people who have threatened me and nobody says anything, but it's, there are certain accounts <laughs> that if anyone says anything to them, they have a whole army of white knights ready to attack. How funny is that? But back to this 12,000 followers thing, because it's bullshit. I could... Here's the thing. I could delete my Twitter today and everyone would forget me by tomorrow. No one would read my books anymore. No one would say that they missed me. I know this. I'm not special. This person says, you have over 12,000 followers. We should all be so lucky as you. I guess you can afford it if a few people don't like you. Generally, people join Twitter because they want to like you. Which, I don't know what the fuck that means. Nobody joins Twitter because they want to like people. <sighs> Look, I have had over 10,000 followers for a little while. And after I added the, the writing community hashtag back into my bio, which again is a joke. It says excommunicated from the writing community. Most people don't fucking read that. They add me because they see writing community. They don't read the bio. Because Twitter is relatively meaningless in terms of the hashtag writing community. People just follow for follow. That's how it's always been. There are people with over 100,000 followers that you've never heard of. And it's because they follow for follow. Now, I'm not going to just follow anyone who follows me. I'll follow you back if you're a writer and you don't look like a spam account. But there are people who actively do this. They follow tons of accounts every single day. And then they go back and they unfollow them. Which that's fine if you're trying to build up your follower account to like a thousand. But... I stopped pursuing follow, follows a long time ago. I don't follow anyone unless they follow me first. That's just how it is. And I've gotten to 12.8K followers because people like my content. And there's a lot of shit I delete that nobody likes. Because either the Twitter al algorithm buries it or people... Just don't care about it. And you can see the analytics for how many people see your stuff, by the way. And I don't know if Twitter has some sort of way to measure if it's just people scrolling by or if it's people actually reading it or what. But there are tweets that will have thousands of people who see it and only a few likes. I 
maintain. I'm not a big deal. Having that many Twitter followers is meaningless. As Dave Chappelle said, Twitter is not a real place. It's meaningless. And (laughs) what's funny about that is the fact that because of Me Too, people think, and there's nothing wrong with Me Too, by the way, but the fact that people correlated that movement and people somehow losing their jobs and then the invention of the term cancel culture, which isn't real either. They think that Twitter can make a fuss and then make things go away, which if you look at it and the things that have happened, and I've addressed this before, most of the people who were involved in Me Too, they're, they're working still. Uh, Dave Chappelle didn't get canceled after his last stand-up special. It's very much still on Netflix, along with his all, all of his other specials, and he knew it would be his last one. That's why he said the things that he said. And yet people think that they can change something. What, what do you think is going to happen? People are going to stop suddenly buying tickets to his shows because you got angry about him expressing his opinion? And I don't agree with everything he said. Hell no. But he has a right to say it, and it's his stage to say it. People paid. No one walked out of that show. Did you see people walk out on that show? When Did you even watch the special? And then people get upset because Louis C.K. got nominated for a Grammy. And Marilyn Manson got nominated for a Grammy. I don't give a shit about Marilyn Manson, but I used to call Louis C.K. my hero. Like His comedy and his show, Louis, it meant something to me. And it hurt me tremendously when he admitted to what he did. Now, I have varying opinions on what happened. But to see someone in a different light that you hold in a great esteem is is hurtful. And to see people daily on Twitter still talking about him like that. Like, they constantly crack jokes about him being a masturbator. Like, have you ever watched his fucking comedy? Have you ever watched his show? There's an episode of Louie that's all about masturbation. There's a screen that pops up. He's on a, a fake Fox News show. And it says, Louis C.K., masturbator underneath. But people got upset because... He got nominated. They didn't even know that he he had a comedy special. And they also didn't realize that it's not streaming anywhere except for his website. People have to pay money. I paid money to see it. It was $5. I downloaded it. I still have it. And you can stream it from his website for $5. You can watch it, parts of it for free on YouTube. It got nominated for a Grammy because it was fucking good. And he addressed everything on it. If you watch it, you'll understand. He has thoughts about it. He talks about consent. It's it's more layered than I can talk about. So, if you are going to pass judgment because he got a Grammy nomination, uh, what, don't fucking watch the Grammys. 
What the fuck do you care? The Grammys don't don't have anything to do with normal people. They don't affect us. They don't affect me. If they give George W. Bush a Grammy for an audiobook, do you think I fucking care? If they give Dick Cheney a Grammy for just existing, if they give Donald Trump a Grammy, do you think I fucking care? No. Because the Grammys aren't a big deal. It's made up. You don't have to watch the Grammys. You don't have to watch any award ceremony. That is all for recognizing people who are way richer than you. They live in their own world, their own society. That's why people went away for a few years, or maybe just one year in Louis C.K.'s instance, and then they were able to come back. There's talk of Kevin Spacey starring in another movie. Kevin Spacey was one of my favorite actors before that happened. I mean, what the fuck? Twitter is meaningless. It doesn't matter if I have so many followers. It doesn't matter if you have a million followers. All those millions of people are not paying attention to you. A lot of those accounts are fake. A lot of the accounts that follow me are fake. Now, I've ranted a lot in this episode. I realize that. I've not talked about books at all. Uh, I am actually writing something right now. It's not a book. I'm writing a short story. I've been This year, I've tried to prioritize short stories. And I started over the summer. I got sidetracked because of school. And the writing I'm doing for school is also important. But it's not important to you. And... I'm working on a short story. I intend to finish it within the next day or so. And then I'll start working on my thesis again. I'm taking a short break from my thesis to write one short story. Because I've made a lot of progress on my thesis. Now, it's possible that the person who is directing my thesis might send it all back and say it sucks. But I don't fucking know what to do with that. Um... I recently had a friend of mine, she's not listening, but uh, if you are, you know who you are. Uh, she's, she was in my class, the class is over. It's my African American lit course, which I've mentioned a few times on here. And we talked about constructive criticism, which a lot of people even in their early to mid to late 20s don't get. I'm one of the older people in the class. And the person that she was assigned to coordinate with on her assignment just told her to just rewrite her whole paper, which is not constructive criticism. So, uh, by the way, in the, odd, in the off chance that anyone that I, I know from school is listening, hi. Uh, most of the episodes are not like this, but... Just imagine that I'm not talking about you. That's all I can say. But I I gave her feedback on her paper. And I was afraid. I tried to make it as impersonal as possible. And I marked things like passive voice, sure. But I also gave her specific pointers on structuring the paper. 
uh, she hadn't figured out which she had a couple of theses that she was thinking on and she hadn't figured that out. So I didn't really comment on that because I wanted, I don't like people commenting on things that are work in progress for me. So I'm not going to do that to someone else. And I sent it to her and I was afraid that she would hate it, but she said, thank you. This is exactly what I was looking for. So maybe I did a good thing. I've tried helping my wife with her assignments over the semester because She's actually a freshman in college now. No, she's not 18. My wife is 25. And uh, she's tried going to college a couple of times before. But uh, this time is the first time she's finished a semester. Uh, And uh, there are people who don't go to college until they're in their 40s. So she's ahead of the curve as far as I'm concerned. She's a very, very brilliant, bright person. She just has a lot of doubts about her abilities. She's also lazy like me. In terms of the possibility of me writing a novel ever again, uh, I'm not saying it's out of the cards. I've wanted to here lately. But I have to focus on the thesis. I have to focus on other school stuff, like the oral exam, and I have to review French for a fucking foreign language exam, which is absolutely ridiculous. But beyond that, um, there's a possibility that I might start teaching next year. And with the workload that my friend Chris is enduring with his um, first year of school teaching, that is, I, I don't know that I'll have time. So... Uh, maybe over the summer, but who knows? I don't even know if I'm going to start teaching next year because I'm kind of over it. Now, I really want to teach, but I'm over academia here lately. And there are some great people in academia, don't get me wrong, but you already heard me complain about college and whatever, so you don't need to hear that again. But my future is always uncertain to me. And my goals have shifted over the years. And I want to get a PhD because if I do teach, I want to be able to teach upper-level courses for sure. Now, as far as seeking tenure, that is a whole other level of stress that I don't even want to think about right now. And the crazy thing is, is that it's... It's kind of high stakes, and people actually commit suicide because they don't get their tenure after years of work. Because it's hard. It's hard to to come up with new ideas for some people. It's hard to get published. It's hard to contribute. I mean, they ask a lot of you, and they also ask you to teach courses. So... I, I need to, to work on getting more academic stuff published. I need to work on a lot of stuff. And I'm just 30. And maybe by the time I'm 40, uh, at least have my foot in the door. And I am also afraid that once I start teaching, I won't actually like it. That's another reason why I'm not just going to s- jump into a Ph.D., There are other things you can do with a master's degree, but what I'm doing now professionally, 
I've only gone, I've only gotten, you know, further and further in this field that I'm working in that has absolutely nothing to do with my degree. But the thing is, is that education's going one direction and it's kind of esoteric in a sense because, um, People in academia tend to forget about the real world because unless you've worked a real job for a few years and you've been outside of that, that realm of academia uh, and you can tell there are people who never, never worked a real job with, and it's not that teaching isn't a real job. It's just not in the same category as washing dishes or mopping floors or sitting in a cubicle stuff like that working in a plant um you can always tell that there's always someone it's professors it's students they've never worked a real job before and again i'm not putting down teaching but the realm of academia is separate, which is funny because academia likes to ponder on the ideas of the world. And English professors in particular really like these gritty novelists, but they don't want them too gritty, too gritty. You know, they don't want Bukowski. They don't want Hubert Selby Jr. They want Raymond Carver. Which, by the way, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think Raymond Carver was a good writer. And you may be like, how could you say such a thing? His writing's not good. His stories are not good. Now, you can disagree with me. You can have your own opinion. I'm saying he wasn't good, though. And Sherman Alexie isn't fucking good either. In fact, I think Sherman Alexie is a pretty shitty fucking writer. Now, Toni Morrison is a fantastic writer. I don't like her writing, but she's fantastic. She's a way better writer than me. Um, There's another, uh, Margaret Atwood, who a lot of people have been turning on because of her perspective on transgender stuff. You know, I'm not surprised because she's kind of snubbed her nose at feminism in the past. And she stated that she's not a feminist writer, and yet people have been trying to align her work with feminism. And what's funny to me about all that bullshit with writers and their opinions and then people trying to divorce uh, artists from the work as if reclaiming it, well, um, people are really fucking peculiar when it comes to separating the artist from the art are they not because they say oh you can't you can't like them anymore they went to a movie theater they pulled their dick out and they flung it around like a helicopter you can't like their stuff anymore but look at harry potter people are still really into harry potter and they try to say like J.K. Rowling doesn't own it anymore. It's for the fans. La-di-da. It's still very much her work. And if you're going to um, try and separate art from the artist, you need to reckon with the fact that the same person who said something that you disagreed with 
created that art that you love so much. Which, by the way, I don't like Harry Potter either. And fuck J.K. Rowling. She sucks too. And you can say I suck. That's perfectly fine. Um, there are people who think I suck. I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, Brett Easton Alice, his uh, long-term boyfriend who lives with him, he's a younger guy. He doesn't like anything that Brett Easton Ellis has written. He doesn't like American Psycho. He doesn't like Less Than Zero. He doesn't like any of it. To my knowledge, that's true. Um, he's commented on being in relationships with people who didn't like anything he's done. You don't have to, to like my stuff for me to like you. And you can like my stuff and I may not like you. Tit for tit. It's not how that goes, Dwight. Anyway, this has been a lot of bullshit. This episode has been a lot of bullshit. But it's my my soapbox, and if you're listening at this point, I'm guessing that you're probably a long-time listener. Oh, by the way, um, I listened to the Mark Maron podcast with George Clooney where he called out Alec Baldwin. And then I actually just a few moments ago watched the response that Alec Baldwin had. Dear God. Uh, you want to talk about uh, call-out culture? Because that's what really exists on Twitter. It's call-out culture. Um, <laughs> when someone like George Clooney gets on a podcast, like Mark Maron's podcast, and they say something like he did about Alec Baldwin... And the gun, um, that, that's a big deal. <laughs> wow. Yeah. If someone came on my podcast and said something like that, it wouldn't matter. If I say something like that, if I say that Alec Baldwin, uh, owns a fleet of tanks and he regularly drives them through small villages and destroys chickens, uh, it's not going to matter if I say that on here. People would just think I'm crazy and they'll move on. And Alec Baldwin will never hear about it. But the fact that... Which, by the way, Alec Baldwin's podcast isn't bad. I've listened to his episode with Joe Jackson, and he's actually a pretty good interviewer. And I think that Alec Baldwin's a pretty good actor. Love him in Beetlejuice and Glenn, Glary, Glenn, Glenn Ross. I love him in 30 Rock. And there's other stuff of his, that he's been in that I like. Um, but... You know, people are complicated, and he's known for having a temper. Uh, I do feel bad for what he's going through, for sure. And I, I don't think that he's uh, culpable for murder or anything like that. But, uh, you know, the Internet was kind of a mistake when it comes to the public forum because people think that they're affecting change on there. Uh, there have been some great cultural movements because of the internet, uh, particularly for trans people, because before Tumblr and uh, later when the mass exodus of Tumblr happened and then everyone on Tumblr went to Twitter, because Twitter used to be a much different place, by the way. Um, I mean, it, it's fucking crazy. The things that have happened for that community because of the internet and it's great. I'm now educated about things that I never knew about. And I think that's fantastic. Absolutely. 
Um, now, I'm not one of those people who wears their political opinions on their fucking shirt sleeve. But I absolutely think that that's great. And uh, that that may not have happened if not for the internet. But in terms of this made-up notion of cancel culture that people keep harking on, it's all nonsense. But... Um, you know, this podcast is meaningless. So nothing I say on here matters. Uh, it's not going to change anything. People are still going to be fucking moaning and, and complaining on the internet. They're going to be doing that until the end of time. Until the satellites fall from space and crash down on us and Satan crawls out of the earth's asshole to suck us all into hell. It's not going to change a goddamn thing. People are always going to be negative. They're going to hurt one another. They're going to steal from one another. They're going to murder each other. And then they're going to complain about it on the internet. And uh, I'm here with my Shazam action figure that it's been on my desk for over a year. Actually, several years because I had it in my cubicle at my old job. Which, by the way, um, as a a brief diversion, uh, my wife and I were cackling because... Um, while I was, uh, I and other employees who were laid off in October, um, I've already discussed this in my uh, job journey since then, and the fact that I knew it was coming, so I was already sending out my resume, and I got hired for a new job the same day that I got laid off. Um, people have been breaking their non-disclosure agreements with the company. And they have gone on social media and said things. They have directly communicated with on social media. I said too much. I had to take something out. But our customer, the former customers of this company and the current customers of this company got on uh, Instagram and Facebook and they complained about the company. They're a bunch of new Google reviews. There are a bunch of new Indeed reviews, a bunch of new Glassdoor reviews for this company. They are outsourcing jobs and again I have not said the name of this company I don't even I haven't even told you what they do but they are outsourcing jobs uh, my job got outsourced uh, I knew it was coming uh, I just didn't know that it was going to happen when it did until about a week before it did and what's happening is former employees have come forward and told those customers I keep having to change what I'm saying what's happening but uh, they've they've made a, someone has made a dummy account a fake account on Facebook and is commenting as the former uh, founder and CEO of the company on things and uh, the company has had to disable their social media comments as a result of all this and it's hilarious because uh, we're watching um, the hand that just handed us money. We fed the hand. Um, we're finally seeing it recoil because the uh, former CEO left. They got replaced by the person who was hired as the president of the company. And by the way, 
I knew that the hiring of the president of the company meant more outsourcing of jobs because of the person's background. And that person came and defended the people that we'd already hired that were working in India from another company, which is a common practice with American companies. They hire partners in India to work stuff that we don't have the manpower to work. And this person, instead of um, looking at their work as they were purposely falling behind and breaking contracts, which, by the way, uh, one of the reasons why my job got outsourced was because of their lack of productivity, because the company decided to, to open their own branch in India. Um, they also lost their biggest company, this their biggest customer this year as a result of that, because the customer found out and they pulled out of their contract. And they're such a big customer that uh, the company couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. This company also got sued by the uh, United States government uh, a few years ago. While I was working for them, actually. I had nothing to do with that. But uh, if you've gotten this far in the podcast and you've listened to this and you know me, uh, you don't know me. But if you do know me, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um. But, um, yeah, Uh, one person on Facebook said that they got threatened with a lawsuit, um, indirectly because of a mishap with FedEx. And then they showed the receipt of them sending back their equipment. And, uh, it's been a whole shit show with this company. So I want to thank you for listening to the podcast thus far. And it's been a, a hell of a journey. If you can't tell, I am fired up about a lot of things, but I am here for the party. And I'm going to get back into reading a few things um, that I've been meaning to get on the podcast for a while. As I said, I'm going to do Vonnegut. But uh, I also want to do a few more of these episodes. I think that I've established uh, the podcast thus far. So if I want to do a podcast episode here and there where I just talk and I don't read, it's my podcast. I'll do what the fuck I want. So in the episode 50, I announced that I was going to shift more toward short stories, poetry, essays in the case of David Sedaris. And I did a lot of that this year. And that's been great. That's been perfect for this podcast. And I want to do more of that, too. Uh, I don't. I don't think I'm going to do a lot of novels because it does take a lot of time. I mean, it, it it takes like a fucking month to get through a novel on this podcast. But we will cross these bridges as we come to them, and I will love having you back on Demise of the Podcast. That's the first time I've said that normally in a long time, but. This has been Patrick Attaway with Demise of the Podcast. Happy reading. Happy weekend.